you know, the scale is anywhere from minimum wage to 15, 20, $30 an hour. Mm -hmm. And probably one of the first things you're going to hear is, um, how can I start building my wealth, my wealth on that kind of salary? Like what, what would you do? What would be your strategy? Right. Well, I mean, one of my clients, um, from, from a maybe about five years ago, was a school teacher and you know school teachers don't generally make a lot of money you know but here she was she was a client at a wealth management firm she had over a million dollars I was like how did you do this how did you do this but she always lived on whatever she could take home she followed advice and put the maximum into her retirement accounts and lived on whatever she took home and it works it works I mean there's nothing fancy about it it's you know living within your means and saving for retirement most millionaires don't just, you know, hit it big in tech or, I mean, it does happen, right? Or I have an inheritance. Most millionaires do it the slow and steady way, you know, just putting away out of every paycheck, just automatically saving it into your investments. Hello, Yay, Shannon. Great. Hi. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, this is awesome. I think the timing is perfect. I think uh, what we're going to talk about is really interesting for a lot of people. Um, you know, I just I'm going to give a quick introduction and we're going to see where we go with this conversation. But there are some couple of questions that I wanted to ask specifically on planning, the financial planning, and especially where do people get their finances wrong. Uh, but mm. if um, let, let's get started, right? Um, Great. so I wanted to welcome you to Zen one podcast. Uh, this is Shannon Blackman and you're a certified financial planner. We're going to talk yes. about what that is and what that means to be a certified financial planner, but basically you earned your bachelor degree in psychology from university of Arizona and use certificate in financial planning from Boston university. Um, you're also a registered life planner through Kintner Institute, and you're also certified financial therapist level practitioner, which is interesting. I feel like finance is always the therapy. Um, yeah, <laughs> you serve as a co-chair for a Horizon Foundation Professional Advisors Council, and you're a dental speaker, member of a dental speaker institute. So, Jenna, welcome to Zen One Podcast, and I'm excited to talk to you about the finances today. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this conversation, so... Excited. What do you think people get wrong about finances? Well, I think that people tend to think of it as an outside thing that they need to go and chase, but it, there's a lot of mindset involved when it comes to building wealth. Um, so that's a lot of what I focus on with my with my background and psychology and my studies is really the mindset of, of a wealthy person and how wealthy people think. So how do they think? Uh, well, I've noticed that they take a long-term view of things. They're very patient when it comes to building wealth. Um, they understand that it's time spent with your loved ones and the people you care about more than material things. Um, and, and they're frugal. There's really no secrets to building wealth. It's, you know, you earn more than you spend. Um, you, um, you take good advice and you're patient, you know. Wow. So you mean like there's no secret? There's no like. <laughs> There's like no secret, something. but there are there are strategies. There are strategies to be sure. Okay. You know? Okay. Yeah. We, I hope you would share one or two. Yes, I'll share some strategies today. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, one of the 
our one of our main focuses at Zen and as a company, as a product, and I would say with with the podcast is we try to work uh, with our dental assistants. Hmm. And so probably, you know, I don't know. I, every, every time I talk to dental assistants, the, nobody has any conversations about financial planning or wealth creation um, when it comes to dental assistants, right? So that's where I wanted to take the turn and, and, and talk with you what would be the recommendation? So uh, maybe you can start with how'd you start your career and how'd you get into the dental? Uh, mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. we can we can build up on that. Yeah, great. Yeah, so I've been a financial advisor for you know over 10 years, um, but I really got interested in working with dentists about four years ago when I started working okay. at, with, at Thomas Dahl. And I work with a team of dental CPAs and pension um, experts, focused on the on the dental field. So that's that's been my introduction to it. And I really fell in love with the niche, um, working with women in dentistry, um, just a really like uniquely supportive group of, of people. So that, that's how I got started. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, probably some of the best connections I have, not only in dentistry, but there I have quite few people that I can think of right now that just absolute like amazing women in dentistry and, and yes. the, the help and support and you get from people like that. It's just incredible. Um, mm -hmm. So if we, if we talk about, if we pivot to dental assistants, you've been working with dentists, mm -hmm. but let's talk right. a little bit about dental right. assistants, right? So, you know, the scale is anywhere from minimum wage to 15, 20, $30 an hour. Mm -hmm. And probably one of the first things you're going to hear is, um, how can I start building my wealth, my wealth on that kind of salary? Like what, what would you do? What would be your strategy? Right. Well, I mean, one of my clients, um, from, from a maybe about five years ago was a school teacher and, you know, school teachers don't generally make a lot of money, you know, but here she was, she was a client at a wealth management firm. She had over a million dollars. I was like, how did you do this? How did you do this? But she always lived on whatever she could take home. She followed advice and put the maximum into her retirement accounts and lived on whatever she took home. And it works. It works. I mean, there's nothing fancy about it. It's, you know, living within your means and saving for retirement. Most millionaires don't just, you know, hit it big in tech or, I mean, it does happen, right? Or have an inheritance. Most millionaires do it the slow and steady way, you know, just putting away out of every paycheck automatically saving it into your investments, you know? Okay. So, so, so let's so, look at it. You get paycheck every two weeks. Mm -hmm. What's, what would be the typical strategy? Um, well, just to back up a little bit, like if you can find a practice that offers you like 401k benefits or a SEP IRA, some kind of benefit, that's really, really valuable. And I think sometimes when, as employees, we forget how valuable that really is. But when you're looking at to, to go work somewhere, if they have those type of benefits, that's, that's a win, you know. And sometimes they might have a match where they'll match a portion of what you put into your own retirement account. And, and that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. So think about those things when you're, you know, weighing different employers. Um, but I think out of every paycheck, like the rule of thumb is 10 to 15% to put, put that away um, from every paycheck. 
And that goes to retirement or some kind of savings account first? That goes to retirement. That goes to retirement. Yeah. Okay. So I would save so, up to the match mm -hmm. first. Um, but you also have to make sure that you have a, an emergency fund, an emergency fund of like three to six months of your basic living expenses. This is your bare bones expenses. Put that away because having an emergency fund is going to keep you from credit card debt right? Because when that emergency hits, you want to be able to go into your savings and borrow from yourself rather than borrow at high interest credit card rates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, how do people start with a three to six months savings for the emergency uh, fund? Like, do you have any specific yeah. recommendations? Because like, for example, if I bank with Chase, you and I both mm -hmm. know at Chase, the savings interest rate is below 1%, 0, 0.0. Right, so right, right. it's kind of like a double-sided question. Do you have any recommendation how people can start putting the money away for emergency fund? And then the second is, are there any specific recommendations would you have where to keep that emergency fund? Right. Well, right now we're in this wild environment where the interest rates have been going up. So you can shop around for higher interest rate um, savings accounts. Your brick and mortar um, banks don't generally give you the best rate because they have to pay, pay for the brick and mortar. They have to pay for marketing expenses. But there's a lot of online um, FDIC insured savings accounts that have pretty high interest rates, like 4.5 and above right now. Um, so shop around, take a look and, and start having your money work for you. This it's, it's been, interest rates have been low for years and years and years now, but finally we can actually earn some money on our interest. So on in, it's yeah, worth, on our savings worth looking around. Yeah. On our savings yeah. account. Any, any specific banks that, I mean, you probably, it's going to be hard for you to recommend something like yeah, Ally or I somebody, think, right? So that would be. Right, but I think Ally does and Capital, Capital yeah. One has some options. So I would look yeah. into those. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. And we probably should say to people, even though it's probably my mom and a couple other people that would listen, um, I'm just joking. I, we actually have a lot of people listening <laughs> that this is no, no way of financial advice and everybody got to do what they need to do and talk right. to the experts in your right. area. So we're just sharing some of the things that we've seen and we've learned and probably mm -hmm. on your end, the same thing, like you're sharing the things that you've seen, what people do and how they get successful mm -hmm. with their money. Exactly. Cool. I'm, this is, this is kind of the rule of thumb type of advice, um, but it's not particular to you and your specific situation because everyone is different, have different tax consequences, everything. Um, so always talk to your own advisor. Right. Um, do you ever see that people, you know, because of whatever the circumstances can be, don't communicate properly to their employer as far as the beneficiaries or as far as dependents on their paycheck, like that, that to make sure that their taxes are done properly. Like, do, have you ever seen that? Um, well, I don't really, I don't really see that that much. No. Um, but sometimes okay. like if you get a if you get a surprise tax bill um, where you haven't withheld enough, you might as well might go back and look at your withholdings to make sure you're withholding enough, you know, and the, other, the opposite is true. If you're getting a giant tax return, um, you don't want to loan your money to the IRS over the whole entire year. So go back and make those adjustments. Um, make sure that your withholdings are are correct. Got it. So your recommendation to start off with is three to six months in your savings account 
that you don't touch, just sitting there. Right, uh, right. This is just liquid savings that you can access, but you don't. It's in case of emergency, break glass type of money. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. So once you have that built, first of all, you can have a ton of confidence. I've seen quite a few mm -hmm. people that once they get the money in their emergency funds, you can tell like they can they can breathe now, right? So like the wings yeah. open up and, and right. all of a sudden, you know, even if you work, which is probably not that many dental offices, but if you do work in a dental office with a negative environment, you don't have to stay there. Now you have a freedom to go out and choose where right. you want to work. And that, that emergency fund gives you a lot of confidence. Mm -hmm. um, do you, so how does, how do you work with the 10 to 15% for the retirement? That's like the interesting part to me because like mm -hmm. the money come in into your checking, hopefully direct deposit. And then what do you do? So that the, the money that goes into the 401k or the SEP IRA should come out before taxes come out. So you don't even see it come out. You just sign up to say how much you'll have withheld and that'll be taken out. And so there's a tax break there because that'll come out automatically. Then you'll get in your direct deposit, you'll get what's left over. But you're only taxed on the amount left over. So that amount, the amount to your 401k comes out pre-tax. And so that's a tax benefit. You're taxed on less. So you get to keep more of your paycheck. Got it. And so, mm -hmm. but how do you choose where the money is going to go? Like, do you choose your own brokerage? Um, usually the 401k account will be attached to, to a custodian, um, like Schwab or something like that. And so that's set up by the employer. By the employer. So when you join mm -hmm. the, the employer, I mean, when you join a dental practice, they, they, if they have it, it will be set up for them. And you can, right. if you leave a practice with 401k, you, can you transfer over your existing 401k to another one? Exactly. You can roll them over. Um, and then it's, it's not a taxable event. You just roll it over from um, one account to the next and, and take it with you. Okay. So yeah. what if the practice doesn't have a 401k and you want to start putting money away? Right. If the practice doesn't have a 401k after you've done your emergency, emergency cash reserve, then you have options like maybe a Roth IRA. A Roth IRA, you don't get the tax break now, but the money goes in tax, um, grows tax free, and you can take it out tax free in retirement. So that's a great option. Um, there's some income limits to that. So if you earn too much, you can't contribute directly to a Roth IRA. But just look up the income limits and see if a Roth IRA would be good for you. Um, there's also a traditional IRA, um, which is you, uh, more generous with the income limits. And so you can always put into a traditional IRA. Um, so what are the differences? Well, the traditional IRA, you do get a tax break up front. The money grows tax free, but then in retirement, you have to pay taxes on it. And in fact, they right. make you take, take it out in required minimum distributions and you have to pay taxes on it. So, um, you know, it kind of depends on what your tax situation and your income level, which is best for you. Um, but that's something that I help people figure out all the time. Right. So technically, Roth IRA is you get the money in your checking account from mm -hmm. your employer. If they don't have a 401k, the taxes have been deducted. So you get hypothetically a hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. So you, mm -hmm. that's your money. And now if yeah. you want to invest it into retirement, that would be as a Roth IRA, you would put, let's just say 15%, 15 bucks into the Roth IRA account. Right. Exactly. Correct. Exactly. So yeah. then since you paid the taxes on that money, 
when you put into the Roth IRA, now that money stays there, grows there. And when you need to take it out, you don't have to pay the taxes. Exactly. Exactly. So which you, yeah. yeah, with the traditional is your, your money into traditional IRA are taking before you get your money into your checking account. Or if you set up one, you basically, that would be a um, deducted, that amount is deducted from your taxable amount. Right. Sort of. For because, a traditional IRA. Because in this one, it, it comes into your account, you know, like a re your regular paycheck. So it's already been taxed. But what you do is you put it in a traditional IRA account and it grows tax free. When you go to file your taxes, you put that in there that you that you made that contribution and it's deducted. So it gets right. deducted on your in your taxes on right. your tax. On an annual. Yeah. But God yeah. forbid taxes become like hugely huge. When you oh. retire, then you're going to start paying. Right. That's, that's, that's true. So that's why I like to say to, to invest in three types of accounts, the Roth okay. IRA, where you'll have okay. the flexibility to take it out tax-free, um, the traditional IRA, traditional IRA or, or 401k, those type of things that are tax deferred. Okay. Um, and then also just a regular taxable brokerage account, just a regular brokerage account. Where you you know you put your money in, you get a 1099 at the end of the year with your dividends and interests, and you kind of pay taxes as you go. Um, so having those three types of accounts is is really key for having flexibility now and in retirement. Okay, so when it comes to all these three accounts, do you typically mm -hmm. recommend to stay within one firm that offers all of it? I, I don't know Vanguard mm -hmm. or something. Or what would be your recommendation? I like to keep it simple. I like to see my accounts in one place. Um, and so that's, that's why I do it. The only, the only time to spread money around is um, if you have cash and you want to make sure that you're under those FDIC insurance limits um, because you want to be FDIC insured. But that's, you know, for accounts over, you know, 250, 500,000, you know, that, mm -hmm. that's a lot of cash. Most people don't have that much cash. Um, right. But I think it's good to be with one firm. And as a portfolio advisor, I really like to have all the accounts and not because I, I want to manage everybody's money. It's not like that, but because there's things you can do between the accounts um, tax wise to optimize them. But you have to have all the pieces in order to do that. Right. And, and have the visibility into the account. Right. Right. OK. And can we talk about the difference between the financial certified financial planners and um, there's something else I'm blanking right now? Hmm. The type of services that that are provided oh cpas or um, um registered life planner can you tell maybe why would people work with you and maybe that will come back like why yeah. would people work with certified financial planners right so the, the reason why being a certified financial planner is important and why to seek um one of us out is because we're fiduciaries so we are morally and legally bound to do what's in the best interest of our clients. So I make decisions based on the client's best interest, giving you all the options uh, for what's best for you. I'm not doing it for my firm. I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for my client. So that's really important because there are a lot of commission salespeople out there, right? They work on commission. Yeah. They, you know, they want you to make the deal. They're trying to sell you something. We run into it a lot with real estate. Unfortunately, it's in investments as well, where they get paid to sell you something. 
um, and talking with stuff. Insurance, it happens a lot where people are earning big commissions to sell you a, a, an insurance product. Um, and so come to a fiduciary, look for that word because that person is, you know, you know, bound to do what's in your best interest. Okay. So certified financial planner, fiduciary responsibility, meaning you, if I, you and I decide to work together, Mm -hmm. You would work to make sure that whatever is best for me, not necessarily for a mutual fund or some other organization. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. I don't get commissions or kickbacks. I only earn what I, what I've charged you, you know, I'm not okay. earning anything from anyone else. Okay. Just out of curiosity, how do you guys charge? Like, how do you make money? Yeah. So there's two ways. One way is we charge a fee for the assets that we manage. You know, so if somebody has, you know, $500,000 invested with us, then we would charge them like maybe 1% or go down from there. Um, it goes down from there. Or you can charge by just a fee base, right? So I could say, okay, I'll set up your financial plan. It'll be $5,000. We'll go through all the aspects of your financial life, set up this plan. And there you go. If you want to come back um, and, you know, do it again next year, then we'll just do it as on an hourly basis. So there's two ways, two ways, depending right. on what you're comfortable with. Okay. Have you ever seen the, the Netflix show, the, uh, the how to get rich? Oh, maybe, maybe i watch a lot of those shows. So maybe, <laughs> Yeah, that's that a fun Ramit one. Sethi or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. The guy. Yeah. So my wife and I recently started watching it. I mean, we, we finished watching it. It's eighth episode. So it was phenomenal. Hmm. Uh, yeah. And so we, I pretty much talked to everybody about it in my office and with my yeah. team. And when I go to dental offices, I always talk about it. Um, just mind boggling how probably the hardest thing that I've seen is for couples to start the conversation about the money. Right, right. I yeah. wonder what's your take on that. Yeah, like I've sat down with so many couples, right? So many couples. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe like one out of 10 couples will be on exactly the same page. And I'll be like, wow, I never see this. Because usually there's one who's a saver, one who's a spender, right? Yeah. One who's, you know, the big thinker, one who's detail oriented. Um, and so that's why we, that's why we're, we're, we are couples, right? So that we can uh, complement each other. Um, but, um, Many times people have different styles and different money stories. So money stories are things that are, that's something really fascinating to me. Um, they've done like psychological studies on the different types of money scripts that we grow up with. And like everybody's different, right? And we grow right. up with these ideas around money. Um, and so when you come together as a couple, then sometimes you have these clashing goals and ca clashing values around money. Um, so I just, I like to set things up like with the accounts. I like to set things up so that there's one main household account and then she has hers and he has his, where one partner has theirs and the other partner has theirs. So you have some autonomy and so you can, you know, buy some flowers without the other person knowing, but also you have that main account that you're, you're both contributing to. So you can both contribute 50-50 or you could do it pro rata. Like if somebody earns more than the other, you could, you know, do it. Oh, I do 70% and you do... 70% of my income, you do 30% of your income, and we put it in this main pot. Because um, I think it's important to have autonomy as well as cooperation with that. Interesting. Yeah. So so you people get their direct deposits to their checking accounts, and then there's mm -hmm. a joint account where they put the money in. Right, right. So you put huh. your, your, your um, you'll have a household account for those household expenses that you both share in, and then you'll put in for that. 
Um, but then you also keep your own money so that, you know, I mean, I like to go to yoga retreats. <laughs> My partner is right. like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go yeah. watch a fight in Vegas. Okay, well, you can go do that. I'm going to do this. And we don't have to fight about it because we have our own money. But the house interesting. is covered. You know? Yeah, interesting. Um, so why? how would you recommend someone to start that conversation with a significant other? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> I, I would say come and see me because I love having these conversations with couples. Um, but one, one thing I, I heard from a, an old friend of mine is to go on a money date like month, once a month. And this is a date where, I mean, it doesn't have to be like a dress up date, but it could be. Um, but like a brunch or a lunch where you go, sit, go somewhere else, get out of the house, get out, you know, get a babysitter and go sit down and talk about your money once a month. In a, in a situation where you're both relaxed, you're both having a nice, nice time. Like I'm envisioning mimosas or something, you know, mimosas at brunch and just chill and have that dedicated time to talk about money. Don't talk about money, you know, when you're both on your way to work in the morning and you're trying to hustle. Don't don't do it at that time. Give a dedicated space for that um, because we really need I like to say, like, we're ancient bodies in a very modern capital capital market society, right? But we still have to take care of our bodies. We need to feel safe and secure when we talk about money because money is a huge trigger. I mean, up with uh, death and, and sex is one of the biggest taboos for people to talk about, right? Um, so make sure that you're in an environment where you're both relaxed, you know, make, make it set aside, set aside time for it and go on a money date. Yeah, I find it's really hard because I think... Mm. Um, a lot of times people hide their bigger problems behind the money. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so it's, I hope I don't, I hope you don't take it the wrong way. I just feel like it's, it's hard for people to feel relaxed to talk about the money, to go on a date and sit down and just like pretend that nothing else in their relationship matters. It's just, let's just talk mm -hmm. about the money, you know, like, so and I've seen, I mean, I have friends now that, you know, really, really well off and they're getting to the point where they, 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 they need to have these conversations, right? When you mm -hmm. don't make enough, there's not much to talk about. Like, what are you going to slice a hundred dollar right. uh, grocery budget be between like uh, diapers and the groceries, right? So like, it's just no point. I think when it becomes interesting is when you start earning money and you start setting aside. And usually what I see the problem is, is somebody sacrificed like five, 10 years of their life waiting for a moment that they're going to start finally making a decent salary, mm. either went through some school or went through some, you know, like experience of building a company or something like that. And then there's somebody that was with them waiting for them to do that. And all of a sudden now the money hits the bank and you want to go spend. And mm. so um, that's where I see a lot of times the problem is like discussing, okay, so now we made it to the point where we made it, like, how, how do, do we see our life moving forward? How do we see our life in five years? And, and having those kind of conversations first, before you even talk about like the money and, and how we're going to split it up or anything like that, because one person wants to buy BMW and another person wants to drive a shitty car for another mm. five years, mm -hmm. simply because they want to buy a house. Right. So like all these conversations, I feel like, should be first before you say, okay, then, all right, let's split it up 70, 30 or 50, 50 or whatever they decide.
Right. I I actually agree with you. Like the money date hasn't doesn't have to be about the numbers. In fact, it should be beyond the numbers. Like mm-hmm. what are our goals and what are our values, right? Because you want your partner to feel fulfilled, right? Um is a BMW going to be the fulfillment? Like what's really going on there? What are the values? What are the goals, you know? Um and so I do think that that's important. Um, yeah, in the trigger points too. Yeah, yeah. So for a lot of people, you know, my wife and I, when we talk about the money, for example, there are certain words that trigger her and certain words that trigger me. Mm. So like, it doesn't mean what she means, but sometimes she would say specific words and that can be something like that I don't expect or or in my world, it's like, all right, now we're going to go and spend all the money, right? So that's not the case. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times what you said from a childhood, we were preconditional about a lot of things. Right. And these words are triggering and I think it's worth exploring. Okay. So I said this, how did you feel when I said that? Mm-hmm. How did it make you feel? And then, okay. So that, you know, that it's not what I meant. Okay. So how do I rephrase that? Or how do you, how do you hear that when I say things like that? And I think that's important for people to get the vocabulary under control that then when they have the conversation, it's not like, well, you're always spending all the money, right? So that's a big statement mm-hmm. or you're yeah. like, it's almost like you're always wasting all the money. Right, so, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it it is you, we because because it's so individualized, you know, what our definitions of wealth and poverty are. Um so when when you come together, it's almost like you have to learn the language of the other person. Learn to right. speak their language and um yeah. Yeah, and vice vice versa. And vice versa. Um when you say I want to go back a little bit when you say when you work with people, you have different types of fees. Uh, yeah. It could be a percentage or it could be a um, hourly basis. So, and then you mentioned that it would cost about $5,000 to set up. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm going to go back to my example with a dental assistant with, let's just say $25 an hour, which is not mm-hmm. a lot. And hopefully, right. um, you know, majority of the dental assistants are female. So I'll, I'll say, hopefully she has a partner that makes money too. And now jointly, they, they, maybe they can afford it, maybe not. But if mm-hmm. let's assume they can afford somebody like you what would be their steps? Like, how would they go about setting up their their wealth creation? Yeah, well, you just come and um, make a discovery appointment. And so during the discovery process, I go through all of these things, like I like to, which is the life planning aspect of what I do. Um, so my job is to uncover your goals and to really talk about that um, and find out what's most important to you. What do you value? Um, because really the finances, the, the numbers and the money are just the architecture to hold up what your dreams are, right? What your goals are. Um, and so that's, I spend a long time getting to know people and, and what really makes them tick um, before can, can I make you give an example, like a couple of questions. Um, yeah. Like I would ask you, you know, what are some of your earliest memories of money in your childhood? You know, did you hear about money growing up? What did you learn about money growing up? Um, and, um, and then I have some assessments on money scripts that I like to give out. Um, and I can send you one to see if you want, want to try sure. it. Yeah, that'd be yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. We'll um, share it with people. Yes. Yes. And then also, you know, um, you know, visioning too. Like if, if you had all the money in the world, what would you do? What would you do with your time? What would your life look like? Because that's really you away from all the worries. That's, that's you. That's your authenticity trying to come through. So we're going to build a plan to make that happen. Um, so that's, that's the first step. Okay. And yeah. then if, 
again, if people can't afford somebody like you, mm -hmm. what do mm -hmm. they do? What would you recommend? Um, well, there's there are low cost options out there for sure. There are definitely low cost options out there. Um, and even myself, like I um, I'm going to do I do a reset your money mindset workshop, which is, you know, very low cost, but it goes through all the, um, you know, the, the questions like I was saying and the money mindset. Um, so I think that's very, very important. And and uh, there's basic account setup where how to set up uh, basic accounts. Um, so even even within um, within my industry, I try to make it accessible for more people um, because everyone should have this basic basic knowledge of the inner and outer aspects of wealth. Right. So when you say inexpensive options, what would that look like? Um, I mean, like you can set up a like we've mentioned. Did we mention Schwab or uh, mm -hmm. um, Chase Vanguard? <laughs> Vanguard, you can set up a Roth IRA or a tr traditional IRA, a brokerage account at those at those places. So while you're accumulating, um, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but you just get get something set up and start putting money in there, right? And then when you get to about you know a hundred thousand dollars or two hundred fifty thousand dollars, that's when you're going to need to say, okay where's the best place for me to put my assets, right? That's where it gets more complicated. At that point, you might want to consider um, either hiring somebody or being on a, a robo-advisor platform where it can do the rebalancing for you. Um, a mistake I see DIYers make is not, not doing the rebalancing. Mm -hmm. But now there's um, systems like, I think Wealthfront, Betterment, and I'm sure Vanguard, other places have that option where you can um, just um, it does automatic rebalancing to to the portfolio that you've chosen. So there's a lot of lot of options. Um, yeah, yeah. Can you talk about rebalancing? What that means? Yeah. So when you set up your portfolio and and, and let's say let's say let's say you do do it with me and you decide, hey, I want to be in a moderate allocation. You know. I want to have, you know, 60% in, in stocks, 40% in bonds. I want to keep it like that. And then and that's our model going forward. Um, then as the, as the market shifts, right, maybe equities do really well, um, you know, one quarter. And fixed income doesn't do as well. So then there'll be more equities in your portfolio, maybe 65% or 70%. Well, that's not what we want. That's more risk than what we wanted. So we're going to rebalance. We're going to sell the 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 gains and buy more of the losers right so we're going to sell sell some of the winners buy more of the losers and in that way we're forcing us with the rebalancing we're forcing ourselves to um buy low and sell high right which we know is is how that works so that's something that you want to do you don't want to do it too often right you just want to make sure that you know when it goes out of balance that you rebalance you, the reason why you don't want to do it too often is you don't want to incur uh, trading fees, right? You don't want to do have excessive trading fees in there. Um, yeah, and most of the platforms I feel like now don't charge for trading fees. Yeah, there are really low trading fees now. Right. Uh, so I know Schwab is pretty low, and there's some a lot that are zero. Yeah, yeah. 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 And and I think again, just to bring it to uh, a little bit more simplicity, when you say a portfolio, and then somebody comes in moderate, I mm -hmm. mean, can you expect people to come to you and say, I want 60% in this and 40% in that, like you probably do that through the discovery, right? Right. We do that through the discovery. And then I have a risk assessment that we go through. 
And then we also, I do what's called a Monte Carlo simulation, which um, says, okay, these are your assets now. These are your goals because we've gone through all the goals. And what are our chances of, you know, having a successful retirement, which, I, which retirement for me means the day that work is optional, right? Um, and so, th and then that'll help me know like, oh, do we need to be um, more aggressive to meet our goals? Um, so there's, there's a few different ways to look at risk tolerance is what we call it. Um, sometimes people need to be more aggressive to meet their goals or less aggressive. Um, sometimes they can't sleep at night if they're not in conservative allocation. So we have to take in your personal um, temperament um, into consideration. And then um, some people, you know, like if you're young, you have a long time horizon before the time you take out the money. So you can handle more risk. If you're older, you you know you and you're getting ready to retire, you have to take on less risk. So those are the some of the things that we keep in mind when we're um, setting that up. Yeah, yeah. When I talk to anybody in their twenties, I always try to show the chart of the compound interest. I'm like, mm. if you put a fifty bucks a month for ten years, you're not going to see a difference. But that year eleven through year 25 it's a hockey stick yeah yeah but you can't yeah. get there unless you start putting the money like now right 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 so right. like it's just so incredible that compound interest is so slow in the beginning so mm -hmm. slow in the beginning mm -hmm. and then like i said year 11 12 you, you start looking at the numbers it's just like jump right so right. it's it's so cool to see i think probably just on a on a quick tangent um people are getting familiar with platforms like Wealthfront, right? So mm -hmm. can you describe the difference between hypothetically Vanguard and Schwab versus Wealthfront? Right. Now, I'm not that familiar with uh, with with what Vanguard does um, it, because I think they have different options. I think there's like an option where you can have it, you know, t talk to a CFP for like maybe um, 30 basis points. Um, there's, so there's that option. Um, and I think that there's just a regular do-it-yourself platform, which is very, very low cost, um, where you can set everything up yourself. Um, and, and so I'm not that, that familiar with that. But the robo-advisors, is what I would call, have sophisticated technology that kind of replaces a lot of what I do. Um, but it's a sophisticated technology that will, you know, you'll go in and you'll say, you know, I want to, you know, retire at such and such a date. Um, you know, this is, you know, I'm conservative or moderate, you know, just, you know, how, how I feel about my investments, how much risk I can handle. And they'll be like, here's your portfolio. They'll um, design a portfolio with, um, you know, that's well diversified, uh, well balanced, and that'll be your portfolio. And it'll rebalance itself um, when it's, when it's necessary. So, I mean, that is a great option. So if you're like, you know, up to like maybe $250,000, I think of wealth, you can definitely do that. And that way you don't pay for, don't, you don't need to pay for advice you don't need. If my advice to you is going to be uh, save your money, live with you in your means, then you don't need to pay for that, right? So just go ahead and, and build your wealth. When you get to about $250,000, then it's, then it's going to be time for me to say, okay, well, we may have to move some things around. When you get to $500,000, that's when it gets like, okay, we need to get out of the 60-40 portfolio and we need to go and look into some alternative investments. How are we handling your real estate? How do the taxes? It gets more complicated. That's when you need a comprehensive financial advisor at that point. 
and you'll know, you'll know it gets complicated. Yeah. I think to the point that you made, like the robo advisors replacing you, I mean, there's an argument for that, but there's also an argument for people are busy and there's only Mm -hmm. so much they can do. Um, I do like the model where they can pay you an hourly rate and, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, just get everything done, set up because a lot of things like with the robo advisors and I'm, I'm pretty familiar with Wealthfront, you set it up, you make an automatic transfer once a month, you're done. Like you don't have Mm -hmm. to look at it. Mm -hmm. It's done. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's there, you can log in, you can check, but it's better than you don't log in. Right. Right. It's like one of the advice to give people don't look at it every day. Like you don't have to, right, you don't need right. to just yeah. let it go, set it up, set up an amount and, and go. And I think what I, I, I also wanted to circle back. I talked and, and I do plan to talk more with my team about this. This whole concept when I immigrated to United States was very interesting to me. Um, when somebody said, pay yourself first, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, okay pay yourself first. Okay. What does it mean? I didn't mm-hmm. know it until I sat down with one of the guys. He was a dentist in Chicago. He asked me a couple of questions. It's like some basic stuff. And he's mm-hmm. like, let me guess your bank account. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. So he guessed and he was right. He was right on the money. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, now I'm interested. He's like, okay. Um, he's like, I want to see your financial plan. I said, I don't have one. I don't, I want to see your budget. I don't have one. He's like, okay, um, let's sit down. And so we met probably like once a month or a couple times a month for about a year. And he prepared a plan, like we set up the goals and things like that. And he explained to me what it means to pay yourself first. So imagine you creating yourself, and I'm sure you know, Shannon, I'm just talking to to our listeners. Imagine you create a spreadsheet. It should be pretty simple. One side of the column is your income and the other side of the column is your expenses. Hmm. But before you go into the expenses, you create a section called either savings or the retirement and things or saving for the house and things like that or or whatever your goals and aspirations are. Mm -hmm. And that section that you talked about 10 to 15 percent and people can decide whichever the percent should be. But that section is what I call call myself first or Mm -hmm. pay myself first. So meaning I get the income 100 bucks hypothetically, right? Then the first thing I do that month is I pay myself $115, uh, $15, I'm sorry, 15% into mm-hmm. my savings or my retirement. So if my savings are full, it's going to go into retirement. Mm-hmm. And only then I built my expenses because a lot of times what happens and he explained to me, he is like, when people get to the point of putting the money away, they're too late. The Comcast right. and everybody else right. already took the money. Right. And so then the argument that I, that I had for that, I was like, so, but how am I going to do that if my expenses are too high? He's like, well, that's the point. You mm-hmm. first pay yourself and then you organize your expenses around it. And then you make sure that you never spend more than you make. And so right. that, that concept was really, really powerful for me is like organizing your finances in a way that you pay yourself first. Yes. Yeah. I love that because it's so simple and intuitive, you know, once you realize like, oh, okay, I'll spend what's left over after I've, I've paid myself first. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to prioritize. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so anything else people can learn about finances, like anything else you can share? Anything it's else? Such well, a deep subject, right? It's a really and, and deep. I don't subject. want to stop yeah. at forty-two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think there's a lot more to cover there. Yeah, there is. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's so much. Um, there's so many strategies, and um, 
And I think sometimes like, don't forget about taxes. Um, sometimes when we're making decisions, we're, you know, thinking about this interest rate over here versus this interest rate over there, but taxes are taking 30, 40, maybe 50%, you know, in some cases. Yeah. Um, so if there's anything you can do to, um, you know, get uh, tax deduction, tax deferral, um, really think about those things. Um, because, um, because you want to save on taxes because that, th that is a sure thing. You know, we don't know what the market's going to do. But we know taxes are going to be a big chunk. So oh, we yeah. want to take care Taxes of that. are not going away. No, they're not. <laughs> no, we can definitely bank on that. Um, how can people find you? Oh, you can email me. My name is Shannon. So it's Shannon B at thomasdahl.com. Um, and that's T-H-O-M-A-S-D-O-L-L.com. Yes, that's right. That's right. Okay. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm putting up a lot of content, um, dental specific content. Um, so you can find me there. Yeah. We should do a show on, on like how to get rich in dentistry. Yeah. Oh, that would be and, a like, fun talk show. Talk to a bunch yeah. of dental assistants and, and, and tell the stories. Yeah. Oh, that would be fun. I love hearing the stories of people and, and what, what they're going through and uh, helping them problem solve. We can mastermind things together. Yeah. That would be really fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it only takes is courage. That's all. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So all these accounts, like we're talking about all the brokerage firms that we mentioned and robo mm -hmm. finances, things that we've mentioned, it just, you got to sit down one day, create an account, link up your, your, your Chase Bank of America, whatever the bank you use, and you're done. Like, it's not that yeah. complicated. It really it's isn't. Just it really courage. isn't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's That's, it's gotten very easy over the years to automate a lot of things. So I, I would automate everything. Like, you know, once you've prioritized, like you were saying, just make that automatic. That The savings automatically goes there. You're not even going to think about it anymore, you know? Your investing yeah. will be auto automatic. You don't have to look at it. And I always say, like, automate, then meditate, right? Then you could chill. Everything is just yeah. working just the way it should. You know, you could focus on your family, your loved ones. You know. Yeah, or if you're like me, you can continue working your butt off, but know that oh. everything is automated and, and right. try to make more. So why not? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's great. And again, I, I always stress, if the younger you are, the more you need to get on this like right away. Yeah, because I mean, time time is money. That's the major factor. You know, it, it's just amazing to me too. Like you were talking about compound interest. When you think about somebody who's 20 years old, just putting a, in a small amount, they can stop when they're 40 and they're good to and go. Good. But if you they're wait good. till you're 40, yeah, if you wait till you're 40, oh man, you have a lot of catching up to do and you never will, yeah. you know? So yeah. it's one of those things like, you know, Young people, please pay attention. Even if it's, you know, 50 bucks a month, something, put that in there. Right. Get in the right. habit. The, yeah. Right. And the tools are available. Everything is available. Start early. Um, yeah. Shannon, thank you so much. That was short and sweet. And that's a, that's a really, really good information for people. Uh, hopefully, we can unpack a little bit more um, mm, for our that. dental assistants in the future. Yeah, maybe some mm -hmm. specific stuff. And who knows, maybe we'll do workshops where... We invite people and we just say, hey, bring your stuff and we're going to walk you through and how to set things up yourself. And so, yeah, yeah. again, as long as we're not breaking any laws to like recommend something to people and because we're not going to make commissions or anything, we just want to help. Right, people. right, right. I think it would exactly. be really, really helpful. Yeah, good. Yeah, this is good knowledge, good wisdom. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much, Shannon. We'll, we'll talk Thank soon. You. All right. Thank Take you. care. Bye.